Well, hey, folks, Lisa with The Boundless Show here, giving you a shout because now that it's spring, at least in the northern hemisphere, <laughs> we want to remind you that the ministry of Boundless and everything that we do, the articles, the show, the blogs, the social media, the community happens because you guys give. So if you love Boundless, would you help us in our spring giving campaign? You just go to boundless.org slash donate and give whatever you can afford to help the ministry of Boundless continue, especially as we we start planning the things that are coming up for this summer and into next fall. And so we have some great ideas uh, that we want to accomplish, but you're the one that's going to help us make them happen. And so boundless.org slash donate to be part of the Boundless team in giving to the ministry that you know and love so well. Thanks in advance for your support. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And uh, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who wants some tips on maintaining a relationship with parents as an adult. Uh, tricky business. I think we can all relate. We feel like, hey, why are they still treating me like a kid? Well, I'm going to weigh in with some thoughts on that. And then for our culture segment, Dr. Greg Smalley and his brother Michael have written a book about relational skills for men what men need relational skills. Uh, we'll talk about it with them. And ladies, of course, you want to listen in because it's a two-way street, y'all. Don't act like you have all the skills, ladies. You need to listen in too. So uh, that'll be a fun conversation. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And uh, we are continuing a conversation that we started last week uh, on pornography. And it's not something we haven't talked about at Boundless, but we thought it would be a good thing to revisit because, again, the power of story, um, the power of healing, the power of victory is always a great one. And we want to address it in the context of the church and the culture. And so I am welcoming back Dave, Nate, and Emily. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey, welcome. All right. Good to have you guys back. Um, I want to jump right in and continue our conversation. We left off. Uh, Nate and Dave, you in particular, were telling some of your story last week of pornography addiction, uh, struggle with lustful thoughts. Uh, Nate, in your case, uh, even compounding that with same-sex attraction. And so it, it's just a, you know... This is a, a sketchy world, you guys, with technology and what we have access to and the proclivity to live in isolation and think. I mean, you throw some bad theology on top of that, and we are on a hamster mm -hmm. wheel of trying to manage our behaviors. We're managing sin. We're, we think we're uh, sneaking around God. We are certainly mm. sneaking around our families and our friends and our systems of accountability that we think we've set up. And, you know, this isn't just porn, you guys. It's like pick your sin of choice, whatever mm. you're dealing mm -hmm. with. You know, they all fall in the same general categories. So um, starting with that, but I want to talk about the... Um, the the pivot point for you, Dave and Nate, uh, let's talk about what this looked like, because you talked about, you know, starting in childhood, whether it was with cable or with magazines, and then, of course, the advent of the Internet, and we know the beast that that is. Um, working in ministry, both of you, uh, working in ministry, being in churches, being believers. So again, this isn't some weird, dark, like, oh, it just started with the guys on Friends, and now it's like random uh unsaved people on TV shows. Um, this is a big deal. And so, but I want to talk about what was the breaking point. So um, I know Dave, last week you had alluded to, you had to start, you know, you were kind of found out, you had to start talking to your wife, you had to repair relationships with your kids. Mm -hmm. 
what how did that happen and then what ultimately started turning the ship as far as right thinking and right believing on this issue well the the breaking point was that um i had to go home one night and and talk to my wife and just say hey i may not have a job tomorrow mm-hmm. and and then that kind of i mean it wasn't quite that easy <laughs> but that was the essence of it and you know that then got the snowball rolling. I mean, we we had to reach out to friends. Um, you know, she was devastated, obviously. Um, at, you know, Emily, what, what talked about last week of you know, the inferiority in her, am I not enough, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and it was like, oh no, it has nothing to do with you. And you know, it's just kind of the lies we tell ourselves. And it, it really didn't. But the and this whole... is just to back up because you were actually confronted at work. Yes. About... That's, okay. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, so that started a journey of of reaching out, and I had to develop a plan to present to keep my job. Which uh, you know, I met with a friend, and we mapped out some stuff, and uh, and that was accepted by the HR department uh, of that ministry. And you know, and so that just kind of got into the whole thing of you know, we did intensive counseling. Um, you know, we had a group of friends that came around us as a restoration uh, group, uh, six individuals that met with us for 18 months to, to work through some of the issues that, and it was during the counseling that, uh, you know, it was found out that my wife then had suicidal depression, and we both had baggage that we brought into the relationship. And so it was just, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I look back and, you know, through the 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 love and the time commitment from friends that that helped us to that, you know basically took over our lives um, for those eighteen months you know repaired a lot of that and of course my wife and I had to repair our relationship and our kids were who were grown at the time you know were very forgiving and um, you know just it was it was an amazing thing what I thought by keeping it a secret I didn't I did, it didn't come to fruition. I found that once I opened up to safe people, that there was acceptance, there was forgiveness, there was love. There was not the, the hatred and the, the animosity that I feared. And I think that's what perpetuates the lie, is we think that if we reach out, I'm going to lose all my friends, I'm not going to have anybody. But I found just the opposite. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Nate? Um, there were a couple turning points in my life. One was just my own relationship with God. I was already a Christian growing up, but I remember being at one spot in college and there's a, a secluded place that we would like walk through to kind of get to our dorms and all that. And I just remember being so fed up with everything. Uh, now, part to back that up a little bit, part of what I believed was that you, if you experienced any pleasure without thinking of God, you're sinning. So any kind of pleasure outside of physically thinking of God, then you're sinning. And so um, so pleasure was really hard for me. And, and this was an area where I got a lot of pleasure from. And so it doubled the sin in my own mind, right? And and I, I also didn't think that I could be mad at God or ha- I didn't know what to do with my anger and frustration and all of that. And so being so to say all that is when I was in this place, I just had a moment where I was just done with it. I was just so fed up and I just started yelling and screaming and just being really authentic before God. I mean, obviously he knew everything I was going through. This wasn't about him learning something. This was about me saying, I am sick of just holding on to this secret 
and all that. And so I just let it out. And I literally was expecting God to kill me. I th- because he couldn't be part of sin is what I thought at the time, right? And so he was going to kill me now that I'm expressing all this to him. And when he didn't, that broke my heart <laughs> in a good way, right? Mm-hmm. Of I felt so loved and connected with him in that moment of being able to be fully present in my sin and still be loved in that. And so that really changed the dynamic in my relationship with him. As far as like with other people and all that, that's, it wasn't until years later when I got into counseling then that helped me and they got me in a group of other guys that are dealing with it. And um, that really helped me because I learned how to be authentic with what was going on inside of me in a place where other people are, they could get it at some level. Everyone's story is different. No one has the same story, but they were able to understand and allow me a safe place just to be able to share and feel that. And so, um, yeah, with my own individual counseling and equally with my relationships with other people, um, that really helped me grow. Because at this point, I wasn't married or anything like that. And yeah, that helped me really change the dynamics. Yeah. So it's interesting you guys saying that because, uh, you know, and I, I kind of want to just again to emphasize this and clarify, uh, have you guys talk about like, what would you say for that guy listening who's just like, something's got to change. I don't know. I, I've been in this cycle for one, two, five, ten years, whatever you know, you both have mentioned relationships. It's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people will say, okay, I need to be all about filters or I need to be all about like people taking away my phone or doing whatever. What do you think, put it, put it into words, what's the number one thing that you think is is going to bring most success in, in moving towards this as something you can really see victory in in a tangible way? Definitely the word that comes to my mind is authenticity. Hmm being authentic in relationships. And so that's with your relationship with God, with your relationship with yourself and relationship with other people. So if, because shame is all about isolation, secrecy, pulling back, even even the concept of shame, there's energy in it, but Satan wants you to pull back in shame. But I see in Genesis after the first sin and they felt that shame, God said, where are you? Right. He knew where they were. But he was extending his hand for an invitation for them to step out, right, for them to be authentic. And so being able to do that in whatever spheres that you have at that time is stepping out and being authentic with people and getting individual help. Because there's a lot of issues like Emily was talking about. It's not about the porn. It's not about sex. Mm -hmm. And that's the symptom. That's the behavior that's going on. And, And so you may need professional help to help get you down into what are the deeper issues and all that. But you also, it's not just that you need authentic relationships with people. I would agree with that because that was really the thing that that saved my wife and me was the fact that there were people that came alongside us to help. Mm-hmm. And had we not had that, then, you know, we would have been trying to deal with it ourselves and it would have been instead of me dealing it by myself, now the two of us are dealing with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't have had any safe people to talk to. And And I think that's the big thing. I mean, there are... There are behavior modification things that can only help to a certain point, Mm -hmm. but somewhere along the line, you've got to come to grips with what is the trigger, you know, what, why is the trigger there, you know, and, and like, like I said last week for me, just insecurity and never really feeling like I fit as a guy because I 
wasn't into sports. I was small. I, I liked music. I liked <laughs> the arts. Um, and, and so dealing with that, but also having the, the people come alongside and, and understanding that I am truly loved by God, no matter, I mean, just the way I am. Yeah. I want you guys to think, because um, I'm going to go here with you next after I talk to Emily here, um, the whole idea of like the church. Talk about the church, what what the church is doing right and doing wrong in this regard, because I want you guys to ruminate on this because I want to ask, um, uh, come over to Emily and say like, okay, Emily, you're someone who's dating I mean, this is like, I've talked about this with my girlfriends. How do we have that awkward conversation of like, guys, so, you know, thanks for the coffee. Um, can you tell me about any porn addictions you may have? Because I mean, that's like a legit, I mean, I, I talked to so many women who are like, is there any Christian man alive today left to marry who mm. is not ensnared by porn, is and isn't admitting it? is and is admitting it, but is just kind of jousting at it. I mean, what do we do as women to be supportive and to be, you know, to be that kind of space of like addressing it realistically, but also like, yeah, I mean, with where we are in this. Well, one thing I would say is that like, only you know what you can handle. So, you know, if you're if you're sitting out there and you're looking for the one guy who's a Christian, who's not engaged in pornography, like, y- you know what? You, there's a chance that you will find that guy. There's also a chance that you won't find that guy. It's kind of, you know, you don't know what you're going to find because um, if you did, you would have already found him. No, um, I would say that the best way that you can come alongside somebody who has this sort of addiction is honestly, to just kind of be their friend. Um, I know that sounds weird, especially if you're date if you're already dating them in a relationship with them, it's a little bit uh, more complex than that. But I think that w- the best thing that we can do if you're in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction is to not shame them worse than the shame that they're probably already feeling. But then when they do come to you and they say, hey, I've had a relapse. Hey, I, you know, I struggle with this from time to time is to sit there and be like, okay, I understand. Let's talk through, you know, if you need to, you might have to talk through it. You might have to get real with them and be like, hey, I need you to maybe not necessarily give me the details, but I need to understand this a little bit better if we're going to continue this relationship. Um Another thing that I would like to point out is that the culture would have us believe that it's totally normal for people to be watching porn, men and women. In fact, I've seen a trend uh, just in the culture, in the TV shows and movies that I'm watching, that they're really trying to normalize it for women as well. And they're trying to take away the shame from that. I cannot stress it enough, though. It's not normal. It's not a good thing. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for any relationship that you're in. It's not. It's certainly not healthy for your relationship with God. So don't believe the lie that it's normal. And mm-hmm. as you're out there looking for, you know, the one, just remember, like, yes, they might be going through that. And but it doesn't mean that it's normal, which means that you also don't have to you know, suffer through it. If you are in a relationship with somebody or if you know somebody who is struggling with this and they are just in denial, like, yeah, every now and then I look at it or whatever, you don't have to deal with that necessarily. And it's okay to, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm not comfortable with that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's very necessary for women to in dating relationships to not get into the role of therapist. I yes. think a lot of women try to date guys and they're like, well, let's talk this through or let me be your confidant or let me be, you know, and I think, again, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty hardcore with women about like you need to ensure and and that he has other guys in his life, pastors and others yes. who are going to give you the assurance that this you don't you don't date someone who's like I'm working on it and who's I mean there should be right. evidence you know again we're all sinners we're all but again to be actively caught up in a pornography addiction is something that you need to focus your time and energy and and spiritual might on and and all of that not probably on dating at that point so I think it requires some discernment on the part of women or men whoever you know whichever party And, you know, another thing I would point out is just that would you date somebody who had an addiction to a drug or to alcohol? Because if the answer is no, then you probably shouldn't date somebody who's addicted to pornography because it's it's the same. It's an addiction. An addiction is an addiction. So there's no reason for you to sit there and justify it. Uh, Like we talked about it earlier, how it's considered one of the worst sins. But at the same time... It's also one of those things because of the culture, it's becoming so normalized and, you know, they're trying to make us think that it's not this bad, shameful thing. So it's almost like more people are just accepting it nowadays, but it's still an addiction. So if you wouldn't date somebody who's dealing with those other issues, then don't date somebody who's dealing with this issue because it's exactly the same. Yeah. Well, let's circle back, um, Dave and Nate, you know, that the whole question about the church thing, because I think, you know, both of you have mentioned that professional counseling, like getting under the authority of someone to really help you dig deeper and, and work on issues is so necessary. Um, but then as far as the authentic relationships in friendships uh, with other men within the church, how do you go about that? Because this is that awkward, like, you don't just sign up for some small group at church and be mm. like, let me dump my stuff on you guys. I don't know who you are, but maybe we can play basketball afterwards. I mean, that is super awkward. <laughs> and I don't know any guy in our audience that's like, sign me up for that, Lisa. So talk to us about what it looks like to be in church community to what you do, should expect from pastors, either from the pulpit or within the context of community in a church? Just like any situation, there are pastors and churches that know how to handle the sexual addiction, and there are those that have no clue. And as I look back, there were there were people that there were men that would pull back the curtain a little bit and say, hey, I have struggled with this. And, and I can think of two, you know, um, you know, one was in my workplace, one was at the, at the church, where I could have, had I felt secure enough, reached out and said, gosh, I struggle with that too, you know, can you help? So there are those out there. Um, I, You know, you'd have to, I don't know, maybe Nate, from a counseling background, you can kind of, you know, how to find out those people. But I know in my life, God put those people in that, and, and they just left little clues that I could reach out and follow the breadcrumb trail, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's that's a tough one because people have to be safe. You just don't want to be, bla- you know, talking to anybody who's going to, hey, guess, you know, on Facebook, guess who I put out, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts, Nate? 
Yeah. Um, there's a scripture that says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Mm. Not calling other people swine, but <laughs> you need to look at the character of the people and not their title. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there are people there, pastors that are really swine. They're going to put a lot of shame and judgment. Um, so I, I would say asking God for wisdom, not if I should share, but God, who should I share this with? Right. Because if you're looking for a perfect person, you will not find it. That's right. Right. And, and so being able to ask God to God, open my eyes. I give you permission to soften my heart so I will be sensitive to when you're saying now's the moment. Here's the person. Right. And so and then having that courage and taking that courage to move forward in it um, and, and letting discernment be part of it. Because, I mean, if you have a friend who talks about everyone else and all their issues, <laughs> don't think mm-hmm. that person's not talking about you. Right. right? Your and, issues. <laughs> yes. And so um, put own discernment in it, but also at the same time, recognize how another person responds is not about you. It's about them. Because when people have fear, they want to control. Right. And, and whether it's control of trying to put you in a program to get you fixed or whatever, or, or they're just shaming you. And it may be because of that they're struggling with it, but they're not ready to admit it. I mean, they project that onto you. I mean, there's so many different factors. So how they respond is not about you, but be looking for not just one person, but even a team. Mm-hmm. You need a team approach. Why? Because every individual will have their own strengths and weaknesses. So you can have people that will be really empathetic with you. You'll have people that will give you a lot of grace, but you don't want to just live in the grace mm-hmm. too, right? And then you have other people who aren't really good at grace, and they're <laughs> a lot of practical things and do this and do that. You need a team of people that have different strengths. Yeah. yeah. I know for my wife and me, we had become so isolated uh, one of the requirements in our team was to have three different couples. Mm-hmm. And either I would like the guy and she couldn't stand the gal or vice versa. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's just we had become so isolated. We didn't have those friendships that we both could. And it, it was only by the grace of God that we actually found three people, three couples that we could mm-hmm. do that with. Good. And because of the couples, then, like you said, Nate, strengths and weaknesses balanced off. And, you know, they'd ask questions that would be like, ooh. They really ask that. <laughs> but we had to bear our soul and just say, okay, this is what's going on. And uh, that was tough. But yeah. that was instrumental in the whole healing process. Yeah. And then looking for groups that can help. I mean, thankfully, there are a lot more groups with this issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, celebrate recovery. That's not just about pornography. I mean, they can have different segments of it or even calling focus on the family and they can refer you mm-hmm. to others that have specific groups developed in this area because sometimes that can help just help break that isolation because it's hard enough just to share it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so to be in a place where others, you know, you're coming together because they deal with that, too, can be very helpful. Yeah, that's a good point. And and really, I mean, you mentioned it, Nate, uh, folks who want more information or just a place to get started, we would love to help you here at Focus on the Family and Boundless. You can go to FocusOnTheFamily.com. You'll see a link there for counseling resources and also a, a brief consultation that will kind of get you started with some ideas and even a referral to a local counselor in your area that's been vetted by our team. Uh, you can also call us at 1-800, the letter A, and the word family. So uh, Nate, Dave, Emily, thank you so much for weighing in uh, these two days in this conversation. I super appreciate it. 
Thank you. You're Thanks for having us. Some people gotta lose it all to find out what they really want. Yeah, some people gotta lose it all to find out what they really want. What I want is shit. Some people gotta lose what it all. Well, we are here for this week's culture segment, which is actually part one of two. Uh, we will continue this conversation next week if these guys do okay this week. So stay tuned and I will let you know. I have with me in the studio, Dr. Greg Smalley. He's my boss, but more importantly, he's an expert on marriage and relationships. And uh, I mean, we'll see how he does. But um, Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. This would make our next meeting awkward <laughs> if... You I said, no, we're good. Nice. Just, yeah. just one segment. We're fine. Well, one Smalley, though, is never enough. So have to introduce uh, his brother, Michael, who is here as well. Hey, Michael. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for having me on as well. Well, I have to crack up because as I was looking back, because I know you've been on the show before, but sadly, your most recent uh, segment that you did with us was on a show where we also talked about people's obsession with their pets. And so I'm very grateful that oh. we're able to give you another show. So you're not just with like the dogs and cats. That's pretty sad <laughs> that that's all we had to offer you. We wouldn't want to pigeonhole uh, hey. them. <laughs> In my life, that was actually an honor. <laughs> So. Okay. Well, good. It, it was a fun show. I remember doing that one and being like, yeah, what's up with all these people that have pets as kids and all that kind of stuff. So it's a real thing. It's true. So, but anyway, <laughs> we have more, we, you guys are actually going to be able to uh, avail yourselves of your professional expertise today as relational experts, because in addition to a gazillion other books that between the two of you, um, you have written, and I know, Michael, you're CEO of the Smalley Institute. Um, you've been a relationship expert for more than 20 years. Uh, you helped create the Smalley Marriage Intensive Program. Uh, Greg, you are now currently Vice President of Marriage and Family Formation here at Focus on the Family, and you co-host our marriage podcast, among other things, also appear on the daily broadcast of Focus on the Family often. Um but we're going to talk today about, you guys wrote a book uh, back a while ago, actually with uh, with your dad, Gary Smalley, who I'm sure you guys always get confused with, you know. Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It's all good. Um, it was titled Men's Relational Toolbox, uh, which is kind of funny because I was like, you know, really it's helping, I think, men understand largely how to relate to women specifically in in marriage and we're going to kind of turn it on its ear and talk about dating uh today in in particular but i i mean i think i feel like you guys have said in your books and beyond that kind of men and relationships in general are a dicey 
subject of just maybe not coming naturally. I know, Greg, you often say, you know, if you had your druthers, you just sit in your basement and kind of do your, your thing, you know, your your stuff, your hobbies and everything. My video so, games. Your vi- oh, heck. Um, yeah, heck yeah. Let's be honest, Greg also watches Hallmark movies. Um, <laughs> we're, we have you promised you weren't going to bring I that know. up. Okay, but when uh, you're playing... If I can interrupt, as his brother... Mm-hmm. The truth would be if he had his druthers, he would live alone in a cabin in the mountains somewhere. That's true. Which, if you remember, is a lot like the uh, Unabomber description. (laughs) Yeah. So, So, yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. So you both better be nice to me. That's the... That's the point he's well, trying to make. Apparently, his wife Erin still is willing to remain married to him. <laughs> so we don't know what kind of arrangement. Has Twenty-nine happened. years. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay. Well, let's start off just because I've referenced the book, The Relational Toolbox. Um, you have talked in the book about referring to men's communication skills in relation to tools. Why? I mean, why is why are tools a helpful analogy? For men, because, you know, I mean, I I think guys, you know, assumptive, you know, they're going to know something about tools. But talk to us about like the framework of this book, how it came about. I, we love the tool analogy because there's not a bad tool. There's not a wrong tool. There might be a time when a different tool is needed because I think guys take a lot of heat within our culture we it there's a lot of negativity around describing guys as doofuses when it comes to relationships you think of just the media portrayal of guys and we really wanted to start this book by going guys god has given you some amazing natural tools to help you to be successful in life as a provider as a protector within your family he's given us things to help us to be successful at those things those are wonderful tools The problem is that we often try to take those tools and use them within our relationships at home, within dating relationships. That's where the challenge is. So it's not that the tools are wrong. It's just learning that there there probably is a better tool when we really are thinking about how to be successful within our relationships. Yeah. I think um, you you outline here uh, some of the tools that guys have, which, you know, a a woman's going to look at this list and be like, I'm not super impressed (laughs) with this list with what guys are good at. Uh, You talk about like the fact giving tool, like, oh, yeah, because the first thing we want from guys is them to give us a bunch of, of facts about stuff. The fact finding tool, take charge tool, that one can be good sometimes. As your boss in a meeting, I guarantee you, you want the facts. You want to know certain details and how you can be successful and all that, which is the right place for that sort of tool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, The task-oriented tool, problem-solving tool, and competitive drive tool. Do you feel, Michael, that these things, you really feel these things come naturally to guys? Give Give an example of how this would play out. I mean, I think those are generalities. So I want to make sure that guys here, because, because this is me. Right. I hear that. And I first think I I don't even know how to use tools. I don't know how to fix a car. Uh, You know, I'm not necessarily just a traditional man's man. And that's okay. So when we speak, though, there are generalities when it comes to men. And those men tend to be more left brain oriented. And so those are but like what Greg said. But of course, Greg, like a typical man, 
wasn't actually listening to your heart, Lisa. <laughs> That's why he missed it. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you were like, yeah, some of these tools don't sound exciting for women. And I hear that. And that's kind of why we wrote the book is going, guys. It, and, and, you know, for me, the bigger part was all three of us at the time when we came up with the book and then wrote it, we were tired of all the male bashing. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, we have giftings and we have natural things that are good about us. We happen to be different than women. But culture has kind of defined relationships in a feminine manner, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to have a deep, connected relationship, you have to do it in terms of a way that a woman enjoys or likes it. And anything different is bad. And and we kind of wanted to come out and go, whoa, guy, and research shows this unequivocally. Men want healthy, loving, successful relationships equally just as much as women do. The problem that tends to arise is that we go about it differently, right? It's it's why on the playground, if you go to, well, if schools are in session right now, <laughs> but you'll see all the little girls gathered around and all communicating and talking and using their words. And what do you see the boys doing? We're wrestling, we're, we're playing, we're shoving, we're on the monkey bars. We tend to be more active. And that doesn't make it wrong. It just means Guys, if you want to have a relationship with a woman, you're going to need to add some really important tools to your already existing toolkit or like, toolbox. See, I've already ruined it. I called it a toolkit. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, for me, like we talk about a, a task-oriented tool, which is natural for a lot of guys. To Michael's point, not every guy would fit this description. But for me, I'm super compartmentalized. So at work, when I'm away from my wife and family, I'm thinking about work. And I have I had to take uh, a little sign, and you'll know this because you come into my office. On my monitor, it says, text Aaron, because I'll get so focused on thinking about work, and, and, and because of that compartmentalization, sometimes I just I don't think about it. I wonder what Aaron's up to, and I wonder what Andy's doing right now, and I wonder if everybody's okay. And so, honestly, that little sign helps me to go, oh, yeah, let me just check in. Because to your point, I know that that Aaron needs that sort of connection throughout the day. I mean, it's not ideal for for me just to go to work, think about work, do work, and then come home, and everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. If there hadn't been an ongoing connection, I grabbed my cell phone the other day to text her seeing my sign, and I wrote her out a a text and just say, hey, you, you look beautiful today, and I remembered that we were going to be gone, or the kids were all going to be gone. And so they had something going on. So I just was trying to give some ideas on how we could use that alone time, sent it, and I get a response instantly back from my boss. Add focus on the family going, please (laughs) tell me you meant this for your wife. I'm like, what happened? I don't even know what happened. But it's so when you use these tools, just make sure they're with your yeah. You know, so who when, you're dating, your significant other, right. your spouse. So when a guy is thinking about like what a relationship is or what doing relationship means, what is he thinking? Because I could tell you when women talk about like their relationships, they're going to talk about catching up, getting deep, talking about what's going on in their lives, being like, you know, who's 
been in my life here? Who did I have a great conversation with? Who did I really connect with? What what are guys? What would a guy say a relationship is like? Doing a relationship, I think you know, Lisa. I think most guys want to connect and tend to connect best through play and through physical touch. And I don't just mean sexual intimacy, but that's why guys punch, you know, like, oh, come on, man, how you doing today? And we'll shove each other in excitement, you know, can you believe it? And there's a shove. And so a lot of guys want to connect. And, and I tell, you know, at my live events, I'll, you know, just address the audience and go, ladies, you, you need to be careful when, when you tell your husband all you ever want is sex. What you're actually saying is, Ugh, all you ever want to do is connect with me on a deeper emotional level because that's how men connect in a deeper, more meaningful way. And, and we just need to learn, you know, it, it's, it's really about understanding and learning the person you're with and knowing what is, you know, what is it that drives them, that motivates them? What are the things I can do? that they'll feel connected because what's, what's funny is when Greg's talking about how Aaron loves, you know, him connecting throughout the day, that actually isn't my wife. And she would probably get irritated if I was texting her or trying to connect <laughs> multiple times throughout the day. That's not meaningful as meaningful to her. I mean, everyone, you know, loves to connect, but it, it, it's important to understand who you're with. And to have those conversations and um, and for ladies to appreciate the go, hey, you're not you're not disconnect. You just do relationship different. And I appreciate these things. However, here are some stuff that I would love. Right. And and like what Aaron has expressed to Greg. Mm hmm. So what, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the, some of the misses that happen in communication, because clearly uh, there was a section of the book that I was reading through that actually, for me, like my blood pressure was rising. Cause even in that <laughs> scenario, even like, even as a woman, the woman's conversation in that stressed me out because she was very pressuring. It was the whole idea around setting up the the construct of how are you feeling or what are you thinking about? And he wasn't giving enough information. And she thought that, you know, he was kind of stonewalling her when really he probably, I think he was trying to make the argument that he really wasn't thinking about a whole lot. And so it was just very, she felt unheard and unseen and all this kind of stuff. So like, is that a classic miss? Like what, you know, when guys are trying to communicate something, what are some of the signals that women should be looking for in that? I think that one of the biggest misses is that the goal is very different between the two. Mm -hmm. um, for, uh, for example, often, you know, when, when I, I think naturally that I'm more bent to want to try to solve a problem, fix an issue, give me the facts, what, I, what do I need to understand in order to be successful? So I'm, I'm listening for those. I'm talking about those things. In, in, so let's call that more of a work talk versus often then Aaron, she's wanting to heart talk. She's wanting to talk about emotions. She's wanting to talk about impact and how this felt and what, what happened as a result. And, and so when we're mismatched on those goals, if I'm wanting to work talk and just solve something, if she's wanting to heart talk, get to a deeper level of connection and understanding, it's always going to be a frustrating conversation because we want two very different things. I think we're doing great and being successful and she's sitting there going, 
well, this is lame. Mm-hmm. Like he won't give me anything. What, what is he hiding? Why is he ducking? And, and really, we're we're both trying to be successful in there. So Aaron and I, over the years, honestly, we we simply will say that. What so as we sit down, if as we get into a conversation, I'll ask her and say, "Do you want a work talk or a heart talk?" <laughs> and and if she says. You know, there are times where she's like, I need help. We, I got to figure this out. And great. And other times when she says, no, yeah, I, I like, I want a heart talk, which is, again, just a deeper focusing on understanding and validating, empathizing, those kinds of skills. Then it really helps me know what are we trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think Aaron would ever be with one of her good girlfriends having that. Like, what are we trying to accomplish in this conversation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's, just, it's really helped me to get clear on what's the goal. Yeah. And I could see where that would be frustrating for guys because I can easily be in a conversation with a, a female friend of mine and we'll eventually get to the point, but we'll talk around right. a lot of stuff before right. then. But it seems... It all seems valuable, but I think for a lot of guys, it's just like, we need a straighter line to get to what we're actually, it is almost like accomplishing the conversation rather than, oh, and then, you know, the rabbit trail of, oh yeah, that reminds me of her because she said this and she, you know, whatever. (laughs) What are we talking about now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's help um, guys be successful in dating conversations and dating relationships. So we all know that everyone tends to like to talk about themselves. If, you know, if we could just talk about our priorities, our wants, our needs, our feelings, you know, we'd probably all be doing well. In our meetings, I've noticed that you do that, right? (laughs) I get it. Well, I just happen to be super interesting. (laughs) So that's part of it. But um, you're honoring me by by giving me that glimpse. But I I think there's this frustration of... um, like say, you know, you show up on a date and maybe, you know, I've I've gone on dates with guys where kind of they talk a lot about themselves or about their own hobbies and stuff. And you feel like, wow, you know, well, can't he ask me a question about <laughs> me or something? But what what would be your advice to guys to really not to be fake about it and be like, here are my 10 questions I have to pull out every time. But just what would be natural points of connection for them with women to kind of really get off on the right foot for maybe say in that first five to seven date span. So not like the, how's your heart kind of stuff, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't lead with that. That, <laughs> to, to kick that it off. could be an awkward, an awkward yeah. first date. Well, and likewise, the women shouldn't be like, you know, hey, let's start talking, you know, first date, grab your coffee, let's talk about porn, you know, but yeah. So yeah. start. let's start with the casual conversation. What are some winning mechanisms for men to go after it with women on that? I mean, I think, what guys really need to hear is a major attractive quality, dare I say, a turn on for women is to be served and to be loved unconditionally with no strings attached. I know for me, when I first met my wife at Baylor University, my freshman year, she was a sophomore trying out for cheerleading and a couple of my buddies were friends with her and they're like, hey, come watch the trial. And I was like, okay. And it, for me, it was love at first sight. And she was, and you know, that's maybe more accurately lust at first sight. But just this gorgeous girl in her cheerleading outfit, I was like, oh my gosh. And my first thought was, I'm going to marry her. We're going to get married and have babies. And when she came over to say hello, I was awestruck. And <laughs> you were I down on a know knee what to with say. a ring. <laughs> I know. Well, I was telling myself, do not mention marriage or babies do not mention (laughs) Mary's you know marriage or baby 
and she introduced her and I, you know, I think I drooled a little out of the side of my mouth and, but I, I was instantly head over heels in love to the degree. And, and so I want to save men a lot of pain in their dating life. I was so head over heels that my genius idea to get the girl to fall in love with me was to become a male cheerleader the next year. Mm. I know. Mm-hmm. There are better plans out there. We call him but an that athletic supporter. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was always nice. Mm-hmm. I felt very loved and encouraged by my brother. Yeah. <laughs> but but here's what God orchestrated eventually, because, of course, I, it was a stupid idea. And I'm on the squad. We're becoming friends. I then find out she's been dating a guy for four years. And then I end up being the first person she shows her engagement ring to because I was her buddy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just in the friend box. I was literally put in the brother box. Yeah. So I was like, I don't think I can overcome this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you how do you get out of that box? But through a series of unfortunate events for their relationship, and, and she knew he wasn't the right guy, but eventually the thing that got Amy's attention with me was that God put me on her doorstep when she was talking about ending the engagement with her future potential father-in-law. I show up to say goodbye forever. And then I find out she's in crisis. The best thing I ever did to get her attention was just simply go, Hey, I am so sorry is there anything I can do to help? And that really set the tone. And 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 it felt so counterintuitive to me because I'm like, wait, Lord, I want to tell her how I feel about her, that I've been in love with her at this point. It's been like two and a half years. And the Lord was like, no, that is not the path. You need to just help her, serve her, whether you get a relationship with her or not. And Praise God, I listened because Amy's first conversation with with my dad, her future father-in-law, was actually being counseled on a conference call with her fiance. Hmm. So, I I mean, I went all the way. I was like, well, all right, if I'm going to help, I'll help. And it was it, – it, it, you guys cannot make it about yourself. It's, you've got to be able to listen and be quiet, still your mind put your stuff to the side, focus in and go, Hey, what can I be doing for this person that would be meaningful, but that they need, how can I help them with no strings? And eventually Amy obviously ended that engagement. And when she started looking around, she was like, you know, the only guy that isn't hitting on me and wanting something romantic is Michael. I wonder what that's about. And so she ended up calling me, yeah. And and that started the whole relationship and 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 she'd tell you that today. That was the most attractive trait was that I was willing to serve her apart from, you know, what I might have wanted. You're just lucky she didn't say, "Here's how you can help me. Find me another awesome guy to date." <laughs> and you hey. can be my wingman. <laughs> yeah, that. you say lucky when I asked that question she literally looked at me and goes, I mean, I don't know. Would any of your dad's books help? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my Lanta, that is so messed up. And I, I was so angry with God. I'm like, well, probably. I end up 
driving her to the mall to buy my father's books to try to help her repair the relationship with the other guy. And she didn't know that I was, you know, had a crush on her and was in love with her. And I'll tell you, though, when you follow God's plan or if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and you're responding to what he's putting on your heart in these big, important moments. It was driving to buy my father's books was so messed up. And I was so mad. She actually remembers that drive because I wasn't talking because I was ticked. I was having a full-blown argument with God. And it was that trip because on the way to the bookstore, there was a woman in distress on the side of the road. Her car broke down. The engine was like, you know, plumes of smoke. And I pulled over and just looked at her and went, I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to make sure she's okay because that's what dad taught us. You got to honor women. And so I thought, well, there's a woman in trouble. I better help. And I was mad about that. I was like, great. I'm helping Amy. Now I got to help this random woman. Like, this is the worst day. And that was the moment for her. Because when I got out of the car, she remembers going, wow, what a sweet guy. And it was two weeks later that her fiance had the same opportunity to help a random female in distress and he said, nah, she'll be fine. We got to keep going. And that was the moment that she was like, well, wait a minute. Well, Michael pulled over and helped. I, I got to get rid of this guy. There's better people out there. I love that sacrifice. I mean, that that's going to take you so far in a relationship. I, I love that. The other day, uh, my middle daughter, who's 24, brought home the guy that she's dating. So we were just sitting at the, at the dinner table, just, just talking. And, and so they asked me, well, well, what's one piece of advice that you'd give us? And so I was like, Oh, this is great. And before I could even say anything, Annie, my 13 year old jumps in and she goes, I got this dad. (laughs) And I'm like, but you've never dated anyone Mm -hmm. in your life. What is happening? How do you know? Maybe she has. Maybe so. I need to check. I need to probably be more involved. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You should try to pay more attention. (laughs) But what Annie said, I loved and that she said, you just need to stay curious about each other. In in other words, just continue to ask questions in in because that's what we see later on, you know, years into the marriage where people all of a sudden feel bored because they sort of develop this attitude that, you know, when we're dating we ask all these questions and I know the answers and so I know everything there is to know. And I'm telling you, one lifetime isn't long enough because we're always changing. Mm-hmm. And so at the outset if you can really learn what is what does curiosity look like? What how do I keep asking questions and really learning how to do that and we develop that habit that that will carry through and then if that remains I always tell Aaron that, that I get the joy, and by the way, I'm borrowing a, a line from the rock group Journey and their song Faithfully, that mm-hmm. I get the joy of rediscovering you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we get to do again and again and again. That only happens if we establish those habits early on as we begin to date. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to come back to this conversation. We're out of time for today, but we're going to carry this over into next week. And so we're going to start talking about like, yeah, what is it what does it look like to feel like you are having a good conversation, getting to know the opposite sex well, feeling like you're getting the information that you need from this person if it's on whether a factual level or a heart level or whatever, because I think a lot of women get frustrated with that of like he just doesn't tell me anything. How do I know? Um so are you guys okay to continue next week? We'd love to. 
No, I'm out. <laughs> okay, I, appreciate, I at least appreciate Greg, your honesty in communication, Michael. That's good. That's yeah, good. Greg, I know he's just not being honest. Right. Okay. I have several thoughts, but all right, I'll go. I'll so, do it so we can maybe express it. Sounds good. You gotta love with your life. Like a fire burning strong till the night is coming gone. There's a hope that lives in you. You gotta love with your life. Like a warrior fight. Lay it on the line. If you wanna see it change, you gotta love with your life. folks. Well, here we are for the inbox portion of the show. And this week, I'm going to go ahead and answer the question. It's very short and sweet, but has uh, a lot in it. So our listener says, what is the proper way to maintain respectful and yet independent relationships with adult parents? Okay, this is like the age old question that most people are blindsided by because they think that this transition is going to be super easy. Like, oh, I just finished college. Now my parents will treat me like an adult because I now have a college diploma or I'm now out on my own or whatever. And it seems to never quite happen like that. And then people get frustrated. So here's my advice. The first thing is, if you want your parents to treat you like an adult, be an adult. Okay, so that's uh, it seems very self-explanatory, very self-evident. But uh, what I mean by this is be responsible be independent, be giving, be mature in your actions and your reactions. Okay, so don't expect them to give you all the privileges of adulthood and all the respect that you're asking for, if you are not even living up to any kind of definition of an adult. And so in the midst of this, I would just also say like, you know, kind of kind of get, I'm not saying this disparagingly, but get a life, kind of be about stuff, um, you know, learn new things, take on responsibilities, move along into maturity and stuff and and be okay with that. Um, Be a a giver and not a taker. So that is another great hallmark of mature adulthood. Um, And then, you know, flip the tables and be like, what does it mean to be honoring of and deferential towards my parents? So be in relationship with them. Ask them good questions. Ask how they are doing. What's going on in their life? Pour into them. Invest in them. Again, and this is uh, kind of piggybacks on that um, giving and not just taking idea. So, you know, again, mature adulthood is being a giver and being a person who pours in to other people. Now, while you're doing this, you may also want to in tandem, 
ID any unhealthy patterns that may have cropped up throughout your family life because you're going to need to take what is good and get rid of what is not good. (laughs) And that may actually involve some effort on your part. And so uh, you're going to want to actively work at breaking some cycles here. So maybe cycles of passivity or passive aggressive behavior. It may be cycles of manipulation. Uh, It may be cycles of boundaries and blame shifting. You know what they are. So you've got to have a frank conversation with them about um, expectations in your life moving forward. And as you're working on all this other stuff on the side, um, then it's going to translate into the habits and the expectations you have with your parents. So Sit down with your folks, have a conversation, whether you're living apart from them or living with them uh, is going to, there's going to be some different nuances to this, but uh, conversations around expectations, the boundaries you're going to have in your relationship, um, what that looks like. Like if you're living with them, literally like what part of this relationship is a business relationship of you as a renter and what is a, a family relationship, a parent, child, adult, child relationship. So establish all of that and what the expectations are around that. And then finally, realize that that role has to transition from child parent to um, adult kind of almost friend mentor in that sense. So be willing to ask your parents advice, but then you have to make decisions and you have to stand by them and you have to take the consequences for them. Uh, You know, so you want to act wisely. You want to move into wisdom in this, but be decisive in things. But also, again, like I said, very honoring and respectful of the place that your parents have as people who are a few steps, more than a few steps ahead of you and have some real life wisdom that they can impart. So it's hard kind of on both sides. Everyone, it's hard to let go of those old roles. It's hard to kind of be in that space, but you can do it. Pray through it. Get some good advice from other people who have done this as well and who have walked through it successfully. And I think you'll be on your way. So... All right, folks. Uh, Well, that is it for this week's show. If you would be so kind as to hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review of the show, if you're a listener, whether you're a brand new listener or you're someone who's been around with us for a while, uh, we would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts of the show and how much you love it, because then other people can find us and learn about the show as well and maybe even give it a shot. So we would super appreciate it. In the meantime, we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I Have Called You by Name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.